Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Dungeonistas, and welcome to the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And if you're not already a subscriber, I suggest you do so. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jay Beardmore. This podcast is at the Rugby Dungeon. And, of course, there is the Egg Chasers, the biggest rugby podcast in the world, at Rugby Dungeon on Twitter. Go and follow us and have a chat and interact and do all those good things. And once you're at it, leave us a review on iTunes. I tell you every week how important it is. It really is. And just because I tell you how important it is every week doesn't mean it becomes less important. In fact... It becomes more important. So please do that. That'll be great. Today's podcast is going to be focused solely on Connacht. An incredibly interesting team. Apparently have come from nowhere to win the Pro 12 last year. So we're going to really dig in deep, talk about the structures that Pat Lamb has put in place, what the history is of rugby in the West of Ireland, how come they nearly got closed down, loads and loads to get into. But before any of that, let's have a word for our sponsors. Now, if you've listened to Egg Chasers, you'll know all about Cornerstone. One of our most important partners, and quite frankly, without them, I'm not sure we'd be doing any of this down here in the dungeon. But we are, and it's mostly thanks to them. What do they do? Well, they deliver precision German-engineered razors directly to your door. For as little as £4 a month, you can get razors better than Wilkinson Sword, better than Gillette. How do we know this? Well, because they've won awards. And all you need to do is you need to go onto their website, cornerstone forward slash egg chasers, or use our code egg10 at checkout. That's simple, and then you just not got to worry about having razors ever again because they get delivered directly to your door, so you never run out. Brilliant. Now, you think you're going to be happy because a box of razors has arrived at your doorstep, and you will be. But nothing will make you more happy than having beer delivered directly to your door. Beer 52. This is exactly what they do. They work with all the best breweries in the UK, and quite frankly, they work with more crafty ale types than you can wave a crafty stick at. Well worth it, delicious product, and of course it comes directly to your door. No longer do you have to go around to some musty beer shop in order to get some crafty, trendy brew. No, because they do all of that for you. You just go onto their website, Beer52, tell them that we sent you there using our code Rugby10, and sorry, Rugby20, and there you go. They will send beer directly to your door. It, it doesn't get any better. What a time to live. Anyway, enough of that. It's now time for our interviews. I am joined with the guys from the Craggy Rugby Pod, William Davis and Alan Deegan. How are you, chaps? Very good. Very good. William Davis here. All good. Great form, JB. I'm great form. Excellent. Well, boys, when I last spoke to you, uh, it felt like everything in Connacht was going the right way. You'd just beaten to lose, and we felt you were hitting your straps. 
So, not to start on a downer, but what's happened since last time we spoke? You can have a Who wants to take that? I'll go with my I'll go with my, my, my ploy on it. <laughs> I reckon we're in we're in a rebuilding phase <laughs> and we're starting to rebuild from the Pro Twelve and we're holding out for uh, European rugby and we'll have everybody back for the European games and really give Wasps a good go for it go for run for their money. I'm sure William has a more uh, realistic view of the world. <laughs> <laughs> um I think it's been a very, very rocky start. They, they, they did play well in in four games. I mean, after the Toulouse game, we we went over to uh, Italy and we give Zebra a clout in fifty-two-seven. Mm. Uh, but we came unstuck then the following week away to Leinster. Um, it's not a really happy hunting ground for us. We haven't beaten Leinster in Dublin since two thousand and two, but it was a very in and out performance again a lot of systems errors and failures just to to pass the ball we dominated the first 20 minutes and didn't score and then they effectively dominated the last 60. and the really disappointing thing was then the following week we went to the newport Gwent dragons and it was a similar performance it was the same problems coming up time 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 after time and the Dragons played well. They had a lot, showed a lot of spirit and a lot of fight, which is not something that they they, they sometimes get accused of not doing that. Exactly, But yeah. they played really, really well. And Sorrel Pretorius at uh, number nine was absolutely superb that night. He ran the game single-handedly at times, just brought a real experienced head. But Connick just made an awful lot of errors. So... It's it's been a very difficult start. They've they've lost um, they've lost five pro twelve games. Uh, if they want to get in the top four, they can probably only lose two more for the rest of the season. So they've got to now win thirteen games out of fifteen if they want top four for the playoff. I think top six to get directly back into Europe is more doable, and I think. They, they wouldn't say it, but I think that's probably what's more realistic at the moment. Really? Okay, well, before we get more into this season, why don't you give our listeners just a little bit of background about the history of Connacht and what is rugby like in the West of Ireland? Okay, I'll, I'll grab that one. I, yeah. I'll, I'll do a bit and then you can do a bit. Well. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so Connacht is a, 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 on the west part of Ireland. Ireland is, is effectively split in two by the River Shannon, which is... I know maybe the, almost the equivalent of the, or it's probably slightly it's bigger than the, the the Severn. So it splits Ireland the way that Severn splits England and Wales. Um, so we do have a we, we do live in a slightly different part of the world over here. Now there is one county on the west of the the Shannon that still belongs to Munster, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> um, so it's got you know we're we're we've got about five hundred thousand people. It's the biggest Gaelic speaking part of the country. Um, and Gaelic football and, and hurling were the, the major sports, especially the football. Uh, and rugby was seen as one of those sports that was played by the foreign the foreign teams and they weren't it wasn't something that was very popular, but it, it stuck. It started in eighteen eighty five, so we've been here for an awful long time, but we've never been particularly successful. Um and like yes, we won we won the Pro Twelve last year, which is the first time we've ever won anything, but we did share the interprovincial title, so every year Connacht play against the Leinster, Ulster and Munster and, you know, they had interprovincial before the professional era. And we did win it three times. Um, or, sorry, we, we shared it three times. 
um, in 65, 67, or 56, 57, 55, 56, and 64, 65. But we never actually won anything outright. So that win last year was the first time we won anything right, outright. Mm. And rugby always struggled. It always struggled to, to, to grasp a hold. And there was a few spots that, you know, there was, you know, in Galway itself, had a, had a couple of teams. Sligo was another area um, where rugby was strong. You've got Westport and Castlebar in the middle of Mayo, um, which is another stronghold. And Athlone would be the final one. But other little bits and pieces around the, the, the province that might have, you know, teams from years back. But in effect, they were the main areas. Mm. And and then professionalism came and, and we nearly got we nearly got put away when the IRFU were struggling to, to make money and it was more or less rubber stamped that we were gonna get they were gonna take the professional team out of Connacht because it wasn't you know, the it wasn't worth their while keeping it because it was costing too much money and Connacht weren't generating anything and the crowds were tiny and there was just nothing there. So um a march helped to sort of put that off for a couple of years and then in 2008 you know they, they got a they got a guy in to you know try and figure out what the hell to do at Connacht where you know was it worth their while and he he did the stats and he basically said that if you go down the route of remo- removing Connacht you end up you're going to end up with something like Scotland where you won't have enough teams for in a, enough professional players to generate success for the Irish team because that's what it was all about and oh. um, from then we got a little bit of investment and we got a little bit more investment and it ended up with us winning the the pro 12 last year so can you just tell me and a bit, now a, have five players on the on the on the Irish team can you just tell me a little bit more about the um the guy that came in and you know, what that process was yeah so they had a the um I'm just going to try and remember his name but he he um basically RFU were were again looking at their money back this was you know Post the match, it was four or five years after the march. Mm-hmm. You had a situation where um, there were we'd been a development province, so players would come in and then leave again. You know, fellas like Ian Keatley or Fionn Carr or um, more famously Mike Mike McCarthy who went over to play for Leinster and and um, oh the hooker, what's our hooker? The hooker is playing for Ireland. So always sits on the bench. Uh, Cronin. Oh, can't even. Cronin, yeah, yes, Cronin. another man, another man that we got and, and developed, um, and left. But this this guy came in. He's actually working with the IRB now, and his name escapes me. Drive me nutty. But he he basically came in and and looked at the amount of professional players that were in the country. Yeah. And said, if Ireland were to be successful, they needed to have 120 players because at any one time, 25% of them would be injured, and oh, then you're gonna have another 10 or 15% who are foreign players. So if you don't have four squads in which to have all those players shared amongst them, you're going to be in big trouble. And effectively said to the IRFU, if you want Ireland to be successful, you have to keep Connacht and you have to invest in them. On the flip side, Connacht were then told you have to get a minimum of 4,000 people in the sports ground on a regular basis. Otherwise, you know, um, they will have to go and shut it down because it won't be viable. And thankfully, Leinster went and won the, the Heineken Cup and got us into the Heineken Cup ourselves. And that just, you know, season ticket holders went from averaging five or 600 to uh, over 2,000. And the game on Friday is a sellout against, you know, on a Friday night in the middle of November against Cardiff, whilst there's an international on the next day, we're selling out sports ground. Excellent. It's amazing what a little I bit think, of investment can do. I think one of the key things, the chap's name is Morgan Buckley. Thank you. <laughs> 
Uh, I've just looked that up in a book. Um, <laughs> and he's working I couldn't for find book. <laughs> and he's, he's he's working for World Rugby, Alan. The IRB was closed down about three years ago, but. Uh... Nah, it's just a rebranding, William, isn't it? Uh, it's very important, very important, <laughs> these rebrands. I think one of the key things, he, he, he really did tell Connacht to pull their pull their finger out of their you-know-where. I don't I don't think this was very subtle. Um, because... no, but he also told the RFU as well. He told the RFU that they have to he... invest. It was it was it was on two fronts. He said it. It was it was he, he was as harsh to the RFU as he was to us. Oh, absolutely. But I think um, maybe he had to bang a few heads here as well, and a, and a much more professional effort was put in behind the scenes. Not so much maybe playing and coaching and all that, but to do with marketing and play, product placement and, and what they were upgrading the ground <laughs> yeah <laughs> which was a huge uh, part of it because for years we didn't have any cover or minimal cover in the sports ground if you stood on the side which i always stood on which was the opposite of the main stand and um, for you know for as long as i'd been going there was no cover on that side it was three or four steps and then they made then it became five or six steps and then they they, they did little bits and pieces but until they put the cover on it to what is now called the clan stand it was it wasn't a very pleasant place to watch a game of rugby <laughs> so we know the genesis of all this extra funding but when did you start to see the benefits from it all um i suppose like he he talked about that in 2008 2009 that sort of that sort of era and then what happened we we, we got a professional player a professional um what do they call it a professional board a professional games board Games board, that was it. So they, they got some businessmen from around the province, some high-profile businessmen, some ex-players, um, and a couple of, of solicitors to join together. I'm not sure how the solicitors are there, but they got them, you know... To <laughs> solicitors are always there somehow. Need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To get them to sort of figure out what did they need to do to improve, you know, everything about Connacht. And one of the first things they said that to do was cover one side of the pitch and... and invest some money in it and you know and the IRFU did give give some money and at the time Eric took over from Michael Bradley and he he drove it for a, a little bit but then he sort of ran out of steam because it was all consuming sorry Eric Eric Elwood that is you know he's an absolute you know god in this part of the world and it basically consumed him it was just too much I don't know if there, there was a brilliant documentary um that was done for for one of the Irish television stations. I'm sure you can probably get it on YouTube somewhere. Mm. Um, called the West Awake, and uh, you know it, it followed Connacht through their first year in the Heineken Cup, and that was the year we went on a 14 game losing streak, Ooh. which we eventually finished by beating Carlequins nine nine eight in Connacht on a dreadful night. Um, but the, you saw the passion that you know you saw how it consumed them, and it just it was just too much for him. And then we got lucky, and we got we got Pat, who came in, and you know, the guy said to him, "We want to be one of the best teams in the in the country," and he said, "Yeah, that sounds good to me. Let's go and do it." Well, before we get on to Pat Lamb, then, just give me some idea of the kind of budget that Connacht worked with compared to, say, the big boys, uh, Ulster, Leinster, Munster. I leave that to you, William. <laughs> uh, I can't really answer that because we don't know. Ah. They, they don't. They, they they don't really give you direct answers to any of this. It's all a bit hocus pocus. Um, that's just the way the IRFU do their business. The IRFU turns over about seventy million a year as a business. A lot of that comes from international ticket sales. I mean, they sold out the match against 
uh, Canada uh, mm. two weeks ago. If that game was played at Cardiff, they'd probably have got 30,000, 25,000. But if they're lucky, yeah. They're, they're getting really good at doing this sort of stuff. But we're told that the budgets are essentially the same for all four provinces. Um, a figure that I've heard mentioned is six and a half million. But I, 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 that's a figure that has been sort of mentioned. They, all the provinces can then bring in their own sponsorship, uh, whether it's a car company or whoever they want um, can, can give money in. The wage structure is also very complex and very hidden, okay. uh, which, fr- which frustrates people because uh, you're asked, we're asked questions and we don't really know. Um, we're not, for example, Robbie Henshaw is supposed to be paid exactly the same at Connacht as he as he's now been paid at Leinster because the, the provinces are not allowed to bid each, against each other on wage structure. But obviously, he can earn outside money from that by appearances or whatever, whatever is part of his own personal marketing situation. Wow. And, and what's also different with the 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 IRFU is they we have a performance director uh David Nusifora and f- for example Ulster this year have lost well Ruan Pliner has to leave Ulster at the end of the season yeah i'm not happy he, about that one actually no but th- their theory is they want to pro- we we're short of scrum halves mm-hmm. so they want Ulster to produce an irish scrum half and they've said his contract as he's had a contract there for x number of years his is a particularly difficult case because he's he's actually moved his family there yeah basically has but that's that's how much authority and power they have leinster uh we're told are in the the uh the market for israel dag yeah um but he would be replacing zane kirchner maybe um and they might simply not be allowed to replace one overseas player with another overseas player. I see. So, so, so the four provinces are much closer to the IRFU than anything that you see in Wales or England or Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, Scotland is probably is, is probably the Scottish Rugby Union and the two teams work close together. But if you look at the relationship between Premiership sides and the RFU, which at times has been exceptionally fraught Um, but it's it's different here but it can still be very fraught Munster thought they had Stephen Moore the Australian uh, captain lined up to come here next season and that was just turned down by the IRFU they said no don't need him we want we want to produce Irish players so it's there's a lot goes on behind the scenes we only we only get the stuff that drifts out to us Hey, just, you can... well, just, just, to, just to get the other side of it I know I'm, I'd be annoyed about the Ruin PNR thing as well but Leinster wanted to replace um, wanted to bring in an outside out half this year and were told no and if they had we wouldn't see Joey Carberry and look what yeah. Joey Carberry's done so you can see their thinking and you can see there that, that's a you know an, an element of proof of you know it can work out. We do have an awful lot of talent and sometimes that it just needs to be given a bit of room to, to, to grow. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I just see it from an individual point of view. 
which mm. is with Pinot being there for so long and being such a good servant to the province and basically just being a, a, you know, an outstanding role model for everyone involved mm-hmm. in Ulster, maybe they could have cut him some slack. And that, that's the, you know, it's, it's not the most cutting-edge sporting view, I know. Um, and I think your point about Joey Carberry proves that perfectly. I just think they could have maybe done, done things a little differently. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's really harsh for someone who's been here as long as as long as he has. But if you talk to some of the Ulster fans, they'll say that you know, yes, they're they're they're, they're gutted that he's gone. But in in a way, he he dominates the team so much. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else has been able to grow properly around them. So you know, it's sort of six one half a dozen another. But I'd I'd be of the view that when a player's been here this long, it's very harsh to to, to ask him to leave like that. Yeah, completely agree. Well, okay. So bearing in mind that Connacht and all the other regions, sorry, regions, uh, provinces, <laughs> there we go, uh, are so close to the um, the Union. Who actually owns the province? The Union. The Union? Yeah, the members own the Union, but, and the members are people who pay their club fees all the way along, but effectively the Union are the Union, the same as the RFU. Right, okay, so there's no private ownership in, in, in any of the... In any of the provinces, then? No, there's there is there is a lot of private sponsorship, and we're probably at the bottom of the pecking order for that. And I think the the IRFU did have a, a meeting a few weeks ago, and the, one of the things that came out of it was I I think they realised going forward that that relationship might have to change slightly mm. uh, to, to 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 simply bring in more money. Now, whether you finish up with a situation where Connacht become Toyota Connacht or some other derivative is probably a little way off. But I think the the current, they are quite forward thinking. Um, I know the Blazers always get a bash in by anybody in, involved in any sports club. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, but, these guys are pretty sharp. They're working very hard on the World Cup bid. They're, they're, they're very clever about how they've placed rugby because they've taken it from being a very small minority sport to something that now has a huge following in Ireland. Um, and they've, they've branded it and they've done all that stuff very well. So I, I think at some stage in the future, money might start coming into the four provinces uh, but private ownership, I that that's going to be very difficult. The clubs who are involved in each of the provincial setups, um, who are essentially, Alan, are they semi-professional? The AIL or, or well, yeah, there's a move back to try and get everybody to 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 move back to amateurism. But in the top league, so we've got numerous leagues, but there's there's in the AIL, so the All Ireland League has four four leagues of I think it's about 10 teams in each league or I think the, the bottom two are slightly more um, and the top of those leagues are effectively semi-professional because a lot of the contracted players when they're coming back from injury will get to play with a club ah. um, or get to play with their own club and, and you know and have them back so it's used at the top two I think it's actually the top two divisions do that um, so there is an element of semi-professionalism about it but it's not fully semi-professional if you know what I mean that not all the players get, get paid and that's because there's no money in the game down at that level. There's just none. 
Yeah, because, because it's all being sucked up by the, the provinces. <laughs> see, it, it strikes me as odd because it's almost completely the opposite to the Welsh game. And I know I'm going to get some tweets now from uh, fervent Welsh supporters <laughs> who will tell me I'm completely wrong. But there seems to be a lot of money washing about in like, the Premiership for Wales, you know, the equivalent mm. of the uh, you know of the Irish leagues. But yeah. then the regions tend to do, well, I'm going to say terribly, not terribly, but not quite so well. They certainly don't hoover up all the money because there's a lot of private wealth in Wales doing the rounds in, in the Premiership and to a certain extent the Championship. Yeah, but like Wales, like in Ireland, like the, the you know, the main, the, the major sport in Ireland is Gaelic football. Yeah. And there's a there's a club in every parish and, you know, so there's thousands, like they, they go on forever if, if you ever... If you ever listen to to the commentaries we have to do on Galway Bay, and we're interrupted because there's a, a junior division C semi final being played, and I have to know what the score is, <laughs> and that's the level of you know it's it's and rugby in Wales is of a similar element. Every village has a team, every area has a team. So Gaelic is a, is a bigger sport from that point of view, and gets you know you know drags a lot of the the money away from there. So the the the, the club rugby in Ireland is a much smaller affair. Um, then, then the equivalent in Wales, it's not exactly a like for like um, match. Well, just um, but they are needed. Just revisiting the heritage of Connacht and where it's based and been a large centre of Irish speaking population. Is that something which they look to work with? You know, to create an identity and attract players into them. Um, not really, because it, it's now. Having said that, you know. There are teams in in the west of Ireland now. There's in when you, the, the Irish speaking areas are called the Gwaeltocks, mm. and there's now a team in one of the Gwaeltocks called On Gwaeltocks, where there there are uh, kids. You know the, the kids come to play rugby, and when they come to play into the city and they come and play in the city and they'll have a guy refereeing and he's talking Osgoelgar and Irish to them and he's talking in English to our kids. Ah, <laughs> you know, okay. While he referees the game, um, so there is there's definitely an element of of the game is expanded outside the the normal areas that it used to play, but it's not that they it's not that it's it's used from uh, that side of things. What I think the biggest thing is is for Connacht these days is what Pat Lamb has brought, which is the belief that you can be as good as the others and playing a game that's really exciting to play. So. Not only did we manage to 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 get hold of of um, one of Leinster's top guys out of their academy this year, but we've we've now since we spoke last, we 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 signed Bundyaki and um, Ulton Balan. So like we're seen as a genuine, it's at the same level as all the other teams for the first time ever. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, both... even though we won the league last year, we did lose Robbie. So <laughs> well, I mean, both his signings are absolutely huge. I'm I'm glad you mentioned Pat Lamb. Um, why don't you just talk a little bit about the impact that he's had and some some of the structures that he's put in place? I think I think yeah, yeah I think what Pat's brought is um, he's very much wanted to do it his own way. Mm-hmm. So his first game in charge, we beat Zebra, and then he lost the next eight, uh, which is a pretty difficult start. But I think he wanted to get his own structures in. And he's, he's achieved that through very careful consideration about what he's done. He's brought in some really good background people. Uh, Dave Ellis, a skills coach. Jimmy Duffy, as forwards coach. He's tried to promote from within the system as well. Uh, I interviewed yesterday for local radio here and for our podcast, Connor McPhillips, who's an ex-player who mm. was the match the game day analyst for them now he's the backs coach that 
works with what the IRFU want, which is they don't want a situation where all the coaches, all the staff in all the provinces are overseas because the chances are they'll leave and move on. So they're trying to produce uh, local coaching talent as well. But he's he's brought an enthusiasm, uh, a directness, and he's started winning things. He started winning games, and now he's won a, won a title. And that's cemented him into his position. But I think he's also encouraged... A great belief that nothing stands still in sport. You have to keep improving. You have to keep uh, looking to be the best. It, it's all, in some ways, it's all very simple stuff. But he does it with uh, a lot of authority. He's worked very hard on the fact that uh, all the different county Connacht. We're based in Galway. Galway mm-hmm. is the biggest uh, county in Connacht. It's probably the economic powerhouse. But he's tried to involve the other counties. He's tried to involve, uh, and he talks about that. The Connacht isn't just about Galway. And he's he's just very well settled in here. He's also producing a brand of rugby that's very different to what Connacht used to be about. Yeah. Um, we were uh, We sometimes played a very basic game, uh, maybe based on the players we had who were hardworking and diligent, but maybe just didn't have enough of the of the technical skills. But it was a sort of a tear them up type of rugby. We now play a fairly considered game, which involves a lot of high speed passing and very training training ground moves. And he's he's done that by taking young players and giving them the confidence in their skills to allow them to, to carry those out. So you mentioned it a few times now, and clearly the academy is a very important source of players. Uh, I'm assuming that was relatively recent, or am I wrong there? No, that's been that's been there was there before before Eric's time actually. Um, Michael Bradley had it was just about started. It was very small. Mm. Um, uh, Nigel Carolyn's been there from the start, um, but it was recognised as a way of let's how do we how do we you know improve our players and and the deal was that you, you you put in an academy. You know, it's you know as time has gone on and money's got better, um, it's certainly been a, a big improvement on on how things have have gone. Um, so you're looking at a, a situation where not only are they now getting guys in from the Connacht area, they're actually going out and looking for guys who used to be uh, in the Munster and Leinster site. So this is where we we picked up Bolton Delan and he came into the the, the academy and got a foot academy contract where Munster wouldn't give him one and then there's guys like you know Owen Masterson who's someone to keep an eye on he's coming back from injury and I think he's going to exp- hopefully he'll be back to where he was before he got injured and he'll explode on the scene um, because he's an amazing amazing young man and a fantastic player um, so we've got loads of these kids who are not just from Connacht and, and, and we have to do that because you know rugby and uh, Connacht is, as we say it's only got you know just over 500,000 people in total in the whole province so there's no way you can match you know the likes of Dublin like Dublin's got a million and a half on its own yeah <laughs> and you get you know you go out you know the, of, of a population of five odd million you know something like 60 to 70 percent are within an hour drive of Dublin is that right so you know, yeah yeah the, the whole the whole country sort of gravitates towards Dublin it, it must stick in the throat a little bit when you lose a player like Henshaw to a rival 
It did. It it certainly did, and it was it was it was very difficult for us to take um, until we won the league, and then we were talking about <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Why would you want to leave us? Um, and 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 it's been even you know the fact that we've the fact that we've got uh, we've got hold of our, our we're keeping Bundy and and Alton as you know been a huge huge boost for us because you're you're looking at a situation where now guys can see us as being um, somewhere to to stay and it's worthwhile because you can get on the Irish team doing it this way and of course we signed Kean Callagher from Leinster so it was you know we we know that the Leinster fans were almost as annoyed if not more annoyed at losing Kean Callagher as they were uh, as we were losing Robbie Henshaw so admittedly they tend to get a, a more established player and we're still bringing a guy through but Kean's certainly been been a pretty good buy so far and has been really good so so far this season Now we were talking before about players that had left Connacht to get further opportunities elsewhere. Do you think there's a chance that Connacht are going to start attracting these players back? Um, we spoke earlier, didn't we, about Sean Cronin? It's, uh, that's a hard one to, to quantify. Tom McCartney, who's another player who signed a, a, an increased contract um, and will become Ireland qualified, I think, next uh, June. Next October, is it? Next October, is it? Um, yeah. It's It's possible, but I don't... Uh, I mean, Pat Lama said he would he would love to sign uh, Aj McGinty back again, who had to leave us to go to sale hey, under the. I mean, well, I, mean, I think you might get him back. You know. Well, it depends because he's he's an overseas player, so he'd only come back if the IRFU let us have him back. Um, but you get, I think we're more inclined now to to produce our own players. I, I you know, Sean Cronin maybe, but. The, I, I, I wouldn't say he's top of the list. Well, presumably you've heard the George Ford news. He might be coming to sale. And if that happens, you've got to assume that AJ will be on the move. So who knows? You might get him back. Yeah, sorry, I didn't sorry. get that. You broke up there. Yeah, so yeah, sorry. I, 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 I had a fair idea because I've been watching the I've been watching the news, seeing about George Ford signing for, for sale. Um, it isn't good news for... for for Aj McGinty, and we call him Aj because his 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 name is Alan. Oh right, um, okay. It's Alan Junior, <laughs> and so his nickname in school was Aj because he's the school he went to was Black Rock, which is the the famous sort of the most famous, well, they claim to be the most famous school of rugby in in the country, and they've I think they've produced more rugby internationals than any other school. But his dad was the headmaster at the time. So oh, was he? he? Yeah, so he's he's um, he was he was known as Aj. So we always called him Aj. Um, as well, because we, we thought it was a pretty cool name. <laughs> well, well, I've seen a little bit of sale this year, but I've not seen much of AJ because of injury. So just tell our listeners a little bit about what kind of player he is and what to expect from him in the Premiership. Okay, he's, he's he, he grew. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Grew into the Connacht thing. He, he grew. He went from being, we're looking at him going, is this guy going to do much for us? Because we signed him after the World Cup. So Lamb saw him at the World Cup and thought, wow, we can have a, we, we need an out album. Let's have a look at him. And then he, he was sort of in and out and wasn't doing a whole, wasn't being given, wasn't really taking much of a chance and a couple of chances he got and one of them was because he had an injury and then he he came back and, and um, Carty got injured. A really freak accident where he, he had to have his spleen removed when he was going down a, a, a slide, a water slide. What? When he was on holidays. <laughs> he had to, whatever way he was going down the water slide, he, he hit the side of it and, and ruptured his spleen and had to be taken out. Oh um, dear. So we lost him. Yeah, yeah, we lost him for the rest of last season. And, and the Ginty came in and stood up and, you know, and and really did stand up. Now I was, I still had my doubts about him because he had a tendency to run too much for my liking. But he he plays very flat. Um, likes to take the ball on. He's a fantastic defender. He's I've heard that. Best, yeah. One of the best defenders I've seen since you know, a la Jenny Wilkinson style. You know, I, you know, nobody ran down the nine ten channel because mm-hmm. they knew they were going to get smacked. Um. But he also had he had great skills, you know, and he brought it all. And as as the season went on, he got better and better and better. And then in the final, he completely outplayed Sexton, um, and and you know had a beautiful game. And, and he's, he's able to run, can pass, get the back line moving, and has a, a reasonably decent boot on him as well. So we'd love to have him back. Yeah, well, uh, I think if I'm right, Pat Lamb said that he would drive over here and pick him up himself if he gets the opportunity. <laughs> so you may well get your wish. You don't know. <laughs> Yeah, we just have to wait and see how Mr. Boshoff gets on this weekend. We're we're assuming he's going to make his debut this weekend at some stage. Has he not played yet? No, no, he was the Lions um, got to the Curry Cup final and he was part of the squad. He wasn't actually playing, but they wouldn't release him until they they, they lost the final. So we haven't seen him yet. When he does show up for Connacht eventually, then do you have any idea of what sort of player you're expecting? I leave that not, to you, William. Not a lot, really. Um... He's learning the patterns and the processes. Mm. <laughs> well, I was told at the, at the press conference. And um, essentially, wait and see. Uh, I think he will... My guess is he will definitely come off the bench this week. He might start. Um, the problem being... Well, look, he, he's South African. Uh, Aj McGinty is American. Because he's, you know, he's yeah. Irish, from but he rugby, played for from America. From a rugby perspective, yeah. From a rugby perspective, so they're not going to the IRFU wouldn't would won't allow us to have two overseas players in the one position. So I, we've just got to hope that uh, Maris Boshoff does a good job. Um, I think he's possibly here to try to guide us through this time of the season, which we tend to struggle a bit with the weather. We used to be a side that loved the wind and rain and stuff but now we want to play a fast open attacking game and we we came a bit unstuck around this time of the the year last year uh, uh injuries didn't help so i think he might be 
bringing a slightly more pragmatic game plan. But we'll have to wait and see how he goes. Excellent. Uh, well, one of the things I wanted to ask about regarding the whole Pat Lamb era is apparently Pat has got some kind of key performance indicators, things like X amount of four, uh, players in the Ireland squad, that kind of thing. Is, is this anything that you that you guys know about? Yeah, yeah. He's he's you know the the you know the, there's a there was a push to have the the phrase they came up with was you know from grassroots to green shirts, so that you would develop players all the way through. So he's looking to have something like I don't know I can't remember the exact figure, but it's in high percentage figures of, of indigenous players. He wants indigenous players. He wants to have four or five players playing on the Irish in the Irish squad at any one time, which he is now succeeding in doing with with some more to come through. Um, you know, so it's there's, there's a, he sees it as it's not just a team; it's the whole organisation, mm. and it's everything to do with the organisation. And you know, it has to be a, a vision right across the board, so as that kids who are playing the game, uh, especially in, on the in the west of the Shannon, have the opportunity to go and learn how to play the the best possible way they can, without having to leave home, and then you know go on and, and get the chance to represent Ireland while still playing for Connacht. Which you know, this year. In the Six Nations against Italy, Ireland had five players on the team for the first time ever. The most we'd ever had before that was three. Is that right? You know, if you want to go back at you know at, at Connacht players and, and and how successful we are, I think I mentioned it the last time we had a chat. We had three Connacht players in the Lions, in the whole history of the Lions, just three Connacht players. So we're hoping that Robbie becomes another one, even though he's a Leinster player at the time. But <laughs> um, you know, we'll we'll, we'll claim him. Absolutely. <laughs> you, know, Ray, you know, in in Ray McLaughlin, John O'Driscoll, and Kieran Fitzgerald are the only three Irish player or Connacht players that have you know represented the Lions. You know, and, and people go on. You know, I, I know a lot of fans in this part of the world reckon we're the same as the Dragons. You know, but they're they're from Newport. Newport have fifty six players who are British and Irish Lions. Is so that right? Quite a like for like. Yeah, it's a huge number. It's it's a massive number. Could That's be more, an incredible actually. I'm be short on that. Well, I I heard a it's stat a... the other day. In fact, this kind of puts it in in, in into perspective. Connacht have as many English and Irish lions as Swinton Rugby League Club in Manchester. <laughs> Fantastic. So uh, yeah, let's <laughs> let's hope you get a few more this year then. Yeah, well, we we might have one or two bolters that might come out of there. You know, you might Alton Alton might make some sort of run for run for something out of out of the the backfield as someone who might you know make a run for it. And of course, we'll we'll claim Robbie. He learned all his rugby over here, so exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Just changing tact a little bit now. If I was to come over for a game at Connacht, what is the match day experience like? Uh, well, it's a unique ground. Mm. Um. Um. It's it's a ground that <laughs> I think a lot of people, a lot of teams struggle with it. It's uh, it's on a hill, um, so it's it's reasonably high up. Uh, it can be very windy and very wet and freezing cold. It's surrounded by all a greyhound track, all at the same time, <laughs> uh, and it's got a it's a greyhound track. So the pitch is in the middle of the greyhound. You have to walk across the sand to get on there. You're very close to the action. It's atmospheric, very noisy. Um, I think that that tends to shock uh, the overseas players when they come here. Mm. Um, they can't believe the noise that is generated, particularly, well, I'm slightly biased because I, I, we stand in the clan terrace, but I have to say the, the, the grandstand side have 
up their game this year. So there's a lot of noise there and there's a lot of um, excitement. And it's just an it's just an exciting place to watch rugby because of the type of rugby that we're trying to play. Um, and it's also 10 minutes walk, less than 10 minutes walk into the centre of the city. And I mean the absolute centre of the city. You, ah. You're 10 minutes away, so it's a brilliant experience. There's, you know, as Connacht were getting better over the last couple of years, there was at least one or two occasions when there had only been about two or two and a half thousand people in the ground and we were playing well. And by the end of the game, there was 4,000 people in the ground because the guys who were watching the game down in the pubs in town had realised there was something happening. So they, they walk up and, and, you know, expand the crowd. And it's it's brilliant from that point of view. It's it's um, it's something that we're worried that kind of might have to leave at some stage, you know, because, it, you know, the maximum capacity is about 8,000 when they add on some temporary stands and whatever. But if they are ever going to expand, you want to you want to stay where they are because the location is such a brilliant place. Yeah, well, I mean, I know it's not the right way to think about this, but I often think about Bath Rugby, and their stadium is just superb because right, yeah. you know, they, I mean, mm. they used to be feeding Christians to lions in that very same ground. I'm absolutely <laughs> sure of it, and I know it's not the right way to think about it, but just increase the prices. If you increase them enough, eventually you'll get to equilibrium. It'll be absolutely fine. I agree. I, I'd, I'd, I'd be having an agreement that the prices are, you know, relatively, relatively expensive, but they're not too expensive. But yeah, I, I'd hate us to move. I'd, I'd rather that we, we did increase the price and kept the ground where it is, mm. um, and, and generated the money that way rather than going off in somewhere like, you know. And I've been to, I've been to Swansea and I've been to Scarlets, and I was so disappointed with Scarlets because I was so yeah. looking forward to going there for the first time, but. You know, it's 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 in a stadium at the back of three shopping centres and a and a steel factory. You know, and it just there's no soul to the place. Do you know what? You know, it's you... lovely and it's pretty and it's lovely. Uh, <laughs> you uh, know, but it just yeah, exactly. There's no heart. I, I could was, not agree know... more with you. I mean, uh, I live over in Manchester, so we're not far away from rugby league country. Now, if you want to talk mm. about uh, a game with heart and soul, it's rugby league. Yes. And I used to go and watch uh, Salford play. So used to play in this place called the Willows, and you know the gents' toilet was literally a wall with another wall behind it, and and that and that, that was it, that was it. And I was yeah. there when there's eleven thousand people there. They've now moved to the AJ Bell, and you see the I think it's called the Langtree where St Helens play, and you know Warrington are now in. They're almost like these stadiums which have been delivered from MFI or IKEA and just thrown up. Yeah. There's just nothing to them. And and, and yeah, they're, well, all, we, we, they're all seated as well, which drives me bonkers. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is some terracing at the AJ Bell, but there's no people to stand in the terracing. So, you know, when you... Yeah, it's just... It just doesn't work. Sorry, we're... Yeah, I mean, we're... That's all right. No, we're going to the to the Rico there to play Wasps. And these stadiums, you know, there's... there's I don't know whether one in Derby County Football Club used to have the baseball ground. They've now got their one and the Reebok for Bolton. And they're, they're, they're multi-purpose venues. You can... Have a conference there, get married there, do launch <laughs> products. Yeah, but they are essentially, as you say, dropped in from space. They look like Meccano sets. Yeah, absolutely um, right. And it, it's hard work to uh, to get an atmosphere. I mean, I'm a West Ham fan, so I've switched this season from uh, the Bowling Ground to the Olympic Stadium. I've been to Oof. one game, and it's like. A completely different experience, and I think Connacht would be 
will have to work very hard to stay where they are. I think that is a unique location. It's there'll there'll be a lot of issues if if they have to move. You can't. You, clubs can sometimes be a bit blasé. They think they can recreate an atmosphere. You you can't. It you takes. Can't. The, the ground is part of of the deal. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. Uh, is there any talk at the moment about Connacht moving? Because clearly, with your past success of last year, it would seem to be on the cards. Uh, yeah, this, yeah this... and I leave William long... talk about it. He know he knows more about it than I do. I was going to say, how long have you got? Um, <laughs> there's a there's a compl- I'm not going to bore you because we could be here for another like, half an hour. There's <laughs> there's an issue with the the Connacht don't own this ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Greyhound board don't own the ground. Greyhound Racing is 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 a very uh, well funded. I'm not sure how well attended uh, sport in Ireland. The really? government give it a, give it a lot of money. It's it's a semi state organisation. Uh, board Nagon, which means the dog board. Um, well, this is unbelievable. You're telling me that dog racing is funded by the government. Yes. yes. Incredible, very, and I, th- I think this year they're getting twenty-one million euros. No, back. Yes. What on earth they spend it on? It's it's just they have it's it's linked to the Department of Agriculture, and they have quite a lot of political clout. Now they don't get the attendances that they used to. Well, they they do in Dublin, uh, Shelburne Park, and um, I forgot the name of the other one. Harold's Cross, they get big attendances and they need another dog track running at the same time so they can do inter-track betting so you can have continuous racing. So there's there's an issue here. The the ground is actually owned by a a committee called the Galway Agricultural Society, which was set up, as, as far as I know, by as part of the Erasmus Smith Foundation. Erasmus Smith was a London benefactor in the 1880s um so the dog board lease the ground off them and then we sublease the ground off them and it's quite a mess and the negotiations are painfully slow that's i, uh, I, I mean this does actually sound like an episode of for the sad <laughs> uh, yes yeah well we're yes. called craggy we call ourselves the craggy crew for a reason <laughs> Quite incredible. Uh, yeah, that's one word for it. I, I, I won't say the word I would use to describe it. Um, so whether whether they can come to an arrangement, um, the the difficulty is if you increase the terracing areas, you cannot see the dogs the whole way around the ground from the stand. And you so have that's, to that's be able the terracing to... behind the goals now, just to just to be clear. Yeah, the terracing right. the terracing... Goals, yeah. yeah. Now there's a, there's also issues about entrances and exits for fire safety certificates. Um, when we played Toulouse there the first time, I think there was nearly nine and a half thousand people in there, and it was absolutely crazy. Um, so the the fire safety people have put a limit of seven thousand seven hundred and eighty six. I think is the exact figure. Okay. Um, but it really, it is it is a problem, and it goes round and round in circles. It's been going on now for years, uh, because even prior to the success, I think there was a a reason that it it needed to be improved. Yeah. And the the, the sad thing is, we've made a very good bid to host the two thousand and twenty three World Cup, 
if we win it, uh, the, the the competition, the stadium that will be used in Galway would be the GAA grounds in Salt Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, now it, as far as I know, holds thirty thousand between seats and terracing. Yeah, and um, the, the sports ground won't get a look in. Mm, that's a shame. But it is it is a shame. But I suppose I think the minimum is twenty thousand. I'm open to correction on that, but I think it's yeah. twenty thousand is the minimum that you can have for a World Cup venue. So even if the sports ground was redeveloped between now and two thousand and twenty-three. Uh, it won't. It wouldn't get to that capacity anyway. So, at the risk of setting you off here, William, uh, what is the immediate future then for Connacht's for Connacht's ground situation? Um, guessing, which is all I'm doing. I, I suspect something will be cobbled together eventually, but I I wouldn't like to predict when. I think the, I think the part of the issue is that the the Greyhound board have a lease until sometime in the late 2020s. Mm. Uh, I don't know what the rugby lease is. I don't know where the Connacht branch of the IRFU lease is. There's been discussions about building a new stadium down in the Docklands area. Um, so if you think it's cold in the sports ground, imagine playing out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right on the edge of the bay. Um, I'm not sure that's a runner because I don't think the money is there to do it. We might, and I'm very much against this, share with the local soccer club. Nothing against them. They have a lovely. They have one of the best playing surfaces in the country. Okay. Um, but it's a ground that's way out of town. It's on the outskirts of town. It's very difficult to access. Um, there would have to be major developments there. So... I, it's 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 hard to know. You every you could ask a hundred people, a hundred rugby fans in Connacht, and they'd all give you a different answer at this stage. Um, but it's it's still bubbling along. Well, yeah, I I hope I get to visit it before you, uh, before you finally move on. Then, um, I'm glad we we got onto rugby grounds because it just reminded me. Uh, last time we spoke, uh, just to pull the curtain back for the listeners, we've done this interview before. <laughs> But I accidentally deleted it before I put it out. You told me. No, you didn't. You said it was. <laughs> you thought that's rubbish. I'll just get rid of it. <laughs> well, you you told me a great story, uh, and that is about visiting another ground. Uh, you've been to NSI, but not the one in Moscow. The one in Siberia. Yep, yep. Uh, just over a year ago, I uh, we the. Uh, they they played their probably their one and only match in uh, Krasnorsk. They NSI qualified and they asked could they have one game at home, mm. uh, their home home. So uh, luckily, I'm I'm I thought it was a fabulous trip. It's one of the best sports trips I've ever made. Connacht with the team that were chosen to go there. Um, if it had been a normal season, we'd have been playing there in October. Uh, but because of the World Cup, everything was a month behind. Yeah. So we 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 were expecting about minus five to minus eight. Um, when I arrived there, it was minus seventeen, oh my and it just got progressively colder, <laughs> um, which really didn't work for them either. I think they actually struggled more with it than, than, than Connacht did because they didn't have the fitness levels. Is that, okay. They're actually a damn, they're a damn good team. 
and they they're doing very nicely this year. They, the the way they've set it up this year is they're playing their first three matches of uh, in Russia. I wouldn't yeah. call them at home. They've played in Moscow. They've played in Kaliningrad, and they're playing in Sochi uh, in two weeks' time. And then they're going to play the three away games. Um, but it was a hell of an experience. We're the only team. We're the only team to have beaten them in Russia. Is that yeah? yeah it was to lose to them. Is that is that right? Someone's yeah, lost to me. And the Dragons lost to them. Oh yeah, yeah of course. Uh, oh no, sorry. Last year it was Newcastle, Newcastle and Bree. They Breed. both they both lost to them in Sochi, um, which is warm weather ish. Well, to give you an example, their first match this year it was seventeen degrees plus when they beat uh, Worcester in in. Uh, Moscow. So when you say so seventeen it, degree minus seventeen, is that a still minus seventeen, or is that minus seventeen with a bit of wind chill? Sorry, so I just put in. I asked. We, we played Munster a couple of weeks, couple of weeks later, or, uh, and and cause William had gone to the game, and I said to William as we started the podcast, I said, um, "Bit of a breeze here, William." I said, "You're actually glad you didn't have that in, in Krasnoyarsk." And William said, "If there had been any wind blowing in Krasnoyarsk, we'd be dead." <laughs> uh, yeah, if 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 there'd been a wind chill, it it would have been. I mean, the stadium is actually down on the river, so it's surrounded by water. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, it's by the by the time we reached the end, it was minus twenty two or twenty three. Oh, uh, it start started off at about minus fourteen. They. They kicked it off at three o'clock in the afternoon. I think if they'd kicked it off at, say, twelve o'clock, it would have only been about minus ten. Uh, <laughs> it's all relative. It's a, it it, it so, is a very it's a very it's a very dry cold. But if you go on to YouTube, yes, uh, any anybody that's listening, and there's 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 you can see the whole game with Russian commentary. You can see highlights, but there's actually some footage that Connacht have put up. Uh, just called trip to Krasnorsk. There's about six, five, six-minute films that that were done by Connacht Rugby Television, mm. and uh, they really bring home, especially the footage taken at half time in the dressing room, where uh, Nia Diolokun, who's made his debut against Canada there. Oh yes, I know. Uh, and Nee's a chap who's originally uh, from Nigeria. Um, he is moved trying to when he was eleven. Just, just so you know, he moved to Ireland when he was eleven. So he's Irish, right? Yeah. He's Irish. Well, he, well, he is Irish, but he certainly has been from a warmer climate. Yeah, he but I mean, just imagine telling him when he was ten what he'd be doing last year. You know? <laughs> well, if you see him trying to hold a cup of tea and he's shaking so much, the tea is just going everywhere. Yeah. And one of the physios, I think, is just rubbing deep heat on him. Oh, uh, he, he has a look on his face of absolute um, surprise. I think, uh, mind you, it was probably. Wor- I mean, look, I was sitting up trying to commentate on it, wearing mm. three hats, two scarves, two sets of gloves. Uh, my phone battery started to fail, and there was we couldn't get any power, so I had to plug into the the. Everybody's laptop failed. Everybody's tablet. They just switched off to protect no. themselves because of the cold. So, I mean, um, what's the playing surface like? Were there any fans? Was there an atmosphere? There was about there was about thirty Connacht fans, I would say, maybe slightly less, who uh, made the trip. A very hardy bunch. I, I don't know if you can uh, join Connacht as a club, 
But if you can, they should all be given like lifetime memberships or something. There should be something <laughs> to commemorate that. Well, the Connacht clan, who are the um, supporters group, uh, they have produced a little badge because if you look back at the uh, Munster defeat of when they beat New Zealand in 1978 or 78, there was about 10,000 people at that game. If you, that's what the that's what the treasurer said anyway. Mm. Um, <laughs> there's probably now about 150,000 people who were at that <laughs> game and around. So we've actually got our little badges to prove we were in Krasnorsk and the fact that it's such a small group, we we know anybody who's um, uh, who's telling porkies, and I uh, I just took delivery actually at the Leinster match, uh, a chap who was acting as our interpreter over there, uh, an Irish, uh, and he had been over to do some work at the NSI against Worcester game, so he NSI have actually produced for me some copies of the match poster for the Connacht game so oh, I'll be distributing them good is that? to people who who were there on the on that wonderful Saturday just just over a year ago um, but to finish the story about the the phone my phone was down to about 3% and I was on a one way feed to go with Bay FM so I just said to Rob Murphy who's uh, we call him Captain Craggy he's our he leads the, the, the podcast boss. questioning he's the boss um, I said, look, my battery is nearly gone here. I don't know if I'll be able to commentate in the second half. So Connor McPhillips, who I interviewed yesterday, was he was he was trying to do match analysis, but it, he was doing it on a piece of paper because his laptop had switched off, and he had a bit of power. So I he said, plug in here, and I went to plug in, and he let it roar out of him and said, no, 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 you can't you can't just plug into a freezing cold phone. Um, so I got my a glove put the phone into a glove with a little hand warmer <laughs> and basically then put it down my long johns How? to heat the phone up sufficiently <laughs> so that I could then plug it into the electric to get the second half. Oh, I always thought that electrics worked better in the cold. Shows, uh, shows what I know. So, uh, uh, I mean, I like... Know, what... there's, cold, there's cold and then there's Krasnair's cold. Uh, when, you're, when your laptop just comes up and it just says closing down and goes... Bzzz, and that's it. Amazing. It's, not, it's not coming back on again. Uh, and and how uh, you know how did they actually play? Because um, uh, I mean, if you remember, what was it six years ago or something? Ireland France was called off because it was too cold. That's right. That's right. Well, I, you see, they so, had under soil heating in Krasnorsk. Do no, they? So you were not playing on snow. Sure, sure, sure how effective it was, but they had an army of people there in the morning scraping the snow and frost off the pitch. And the referee, who was a, a French chap, he uh, made a, the, the players. The players weren't allowed. You're not allowed to wear uh, long johns or what compression garments on your legs when you're playing. Oh, okay. You can wear anything that you want on your top half, and you can wear <laughs> gloves if you want to. And I think you could even wear a, a woolly hat or a scrum cap, but you can't wear anything on your legs. How weird. Um, it's some it's something to do with protecting your legs in, in a cramp situation. There's a medical reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also to do with blood. Whether there's been a you know whether there's, there's blood uh, injuries and, and you know you get scratches and whatever because your legs are more likely to get scratched than anything else. That's a weird um, one, isn't it? Because yeah, you'd assume yeah. that it'd be same for the whole body, but okay. 
but he made the, the very wise decision that the clock never stopped. Uh, so he just let that game run. Oh, I can um, imagine. Which I think was a very, very wise decision. But I'd urge people, take 10 minutes, go on to, to YouTube. Other other playback sites are available, but that's the best. <laughs> uh, and have a look. To be fair, Russian television produced an amazing feed on the day. Yeah, uh, it was brilliant. Their cameramen were absolute heroes because they were, mind you, they they were they were wearing what approximated to duvets. Um, but the, there's pictures of the Connacht team. They're covered in the same blankets that you wear when you're going up Everest, or perhaps when you're being carried down off Everest. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was just a unique. It'll never ever happen again. I don't think NSI want to play a game there because I I, I think they even found it difficult. And and they're they're a pretty good op- outfit. Uh, yeah, they are. I'd be delighted to see them get through to the quarterfinals. And then if the quarterfinal is in April and they get a home quarterfinal, well, they can certainly play it in uh, Krasnorsk. Yeah, I mean, it must have meant that quite a lot to them just to go through that whole process, actually. Wow. Well, uh, look, um, I'll give you this. I'll give you this commitment right now. If Connacht ever go back to Krasnost in that, at that time of year, I'll I will come along because I want a badge. Yeah, definitely. Well, you see, William William is a well travelled well travelled fan. William's a big English cricket fan, and is a member of Middlesex, isn't it, William? Middlesex. Follows, yeah, follows England all over. So, like within a couple of months of being in Krasnost, he was down in South Africa. Watching the the tests down in, in in South Africa, so he, he he had a you know he got himself warmed up afterwards. But he's he's a well-travelled sports fan. Tell you what, how, he knows how to he knows how to get around. How the other half live, eh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, boys. Well, uh, before we go, then um, because we've been chatting now for just 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 over an hour. Um, before you go, I want two commitments from you. I want firstly, who do you think your lines are going to be? This year, and secondly, if we fast forward three years' time, who are you going? Who are who are going to be your Irish internationals who we don't know about at the moment? Uh, are you talking about Connacht Lions? Is it or, Connacht, or Ireland in yeah. general? Connacht. Uh, the only one that I can see this year, and he's a, he's an outside is Alton Delan. Mm. I would urge people to watch out for this guy. Uh, it's one of the joys of watching sport live is when you see somebody and you think okay this guy's got a bit and then they just get better and better and better um i mean he came from an Eng- he he had no sort of a contract at munster he joined our academy he went to our a team he went to connacht and now he's playing for ireland against new zealand in chicago and that's the sort of progression you want to see. I think he's an he's an outside possibility. Um, three years down the road, that's a that's a hard one. Uh, hopefully, we'll I'll, ta- I'll, I'll like, take that one. The only, the only other line okay. I will call, but I'll, I'll claim I'll claim um, Henshaw if he does go. That he's yeah, <laughs> he's definitely going to be a, a sort of comic okay. with a, with an asterisk there. But yeah, down the road you're looking you're definitely looking at Owen Masterson. I think he's going to be a fantastic player, young number eight, uh, come flanker. Sean O'Brien is another one who could could do it. Our our Sean O'Brien or Sean O'Brien two point as we call him. Yeah, he's a he's a fabulous player as well, and 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 could you know really make inroads. And Nia Diallokan is you know once he gets his chance, I think he's 
the speed that lad has is is just outstanding, and and yeah, I think he'll 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 um really make some waves if and when he ever gets a chance. And I think Kane Callagher might do too as well. So another another cracking player that we have. Excellent, boys. Where can we find your podcast? Where can we find you on Twitter? Stuff like that. Well, we're at at, at Craggy Rugby Pod, um, and we're just in the process of, of getting a, a website up and, and running as well. So our, our leader Rob Rob Murphy, who's who's the Captain Craggy as you call him, he's he's uh, he's been commentating on Connacht for years and years and years with uh, Galway Bay FM, and he he also writes. He's a he's a proper journalist. We're 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 just wannabe journalists. He's a proper journalist. Um, but he he does match reports and everything, so we're we're gonna sort of get all the match reports he's done over the last couple of years and, and throw them up on the website and keep that going. So that would be the the craggy rugby craggy rugby website. I, we haven't got a name for it yet, and we're still working through it. But that craggy rugby pod is definitely where you'll find us. Um, and we're I think we're on Facebook as well somewhere. But <laughs> I've got my young fella looking after that side of things, and I know how to use a phone and I can use Twitter. <laughs> but the rest of it, I. I Social media just passes me by. I just don't quite get as much of it as, as everybody else seems to do. Fantastic. Well, hopefully, um, we're sorry. Go, go we're on. on we're on SoundCloud, aren't we, Alan? That's where. Yeah, that's where the podcast gets thrown up. Is on SoundCloud, and of course, you can you can find us on on iTunes as well. Fantastic. Well, hopefully, boys, I'll catch you on the eleventh when Connacht are flying over to Wasps. So I'll be at, at least one of those games. Excellent. Oh, well, we'd we'd love to have you over. As I say, there's no better place to come and watch a game of rugby at the moment. It's it's we're known as a mini Toman Park at this stage. Even the Munster fans enjoy coming up and and, and the, the raw atmosphere that we have in our ground. So it's definitely worth a visit. Fantastic. All right, boys. Thank you very much. All right. Cheers. Thanks, Jamie. Very good night to you. Good to talk to you again. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Thank you again to William and Alan for coming on the show today. If you want to follow us, please do so. We are on Twitter, uh, me at Jay Beardmore, the Egg Chasers at Rugby Podcast, and of course this podcast at The Rugby Dungeon. Uh, look at our uh, sponsors, Cornerstone and Beer52. And finally, if you can think of someone that you want me to interview or someone who you think would be interesting in general from the world of rugby, just get in touch, let me know, and I'll do everything I possibly can to make that happen. You'll also notice that for the next couple of weeks, this podcast is going to be out on Thursday. But as soon as the international window is open, it'll be back to Wednesday. So uh, thank you for listening, and hopefully I will see you again next week. Bye-bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 